0: Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church today. We hope this message blesses you. If you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com. Now here's the message. We started our new New year reading plan in the New Testament this week. So Monday was Matthew chapter 1, and then Tuesday 2, I can keep going. But if you need that, you can grab a copy from the website or the welcome table, but we're in Matthew 1 today. So if you have a Bible, head to Matthew 1, and really, the, the, there's, there's this regular rhythm that's about to take place, and if I'm allowed to real talk, I really didn't want it at first. I, I set it up. I was like, we're going to do a reading plan. But as soon as you do a reading plan, you're stuck in the reading plan as far as preaching exactly what you read that week, and I'm like, what if I feel like I'm supposed to preach this? But what has happened regularly as we've done this, God brings us to the topics we're supposed to talk about. He does all the work. And it's really kind of fun, because we've always said we want you to tie your life to the Word of God. So if you've never read the Bible regularly, it's a chapter a day. It will not take long. We made it short on purpose. We want to make it easy and accessible. So as we read one through five this week, that's what I read, and I went, Lord, what do you want to preach out of those five chapters? I can't not start in the beginning. I have to start in Matthew 1. We'll end in Matthew 3. It's just how I'm wired. Uh, But here's the challenge as you read this this year, as you come to your Bible time or your quiet time or whatever, and you're in your prayer, whatever you're doing, can we be a people that agree we want Jesus-focused eyes as we read? I want you searching for Jesus in it. And I'll tell you why in a minute, but really I want us to be a Jesus people. I want us to be a people consumed by and in love with the Son of God. I want him to be Literally, Jesus' words to the Pharisees haunt me. You, you search the scriptures, but in vain because you missed me. And if you want to be a Jesus people, you got to be about Jesus. Don't you love him? Don't you love Jesus? I love everything about Jesus. I love the way that he teaches. I love that he puts little kids on his lap in one chapter, and then the next chapter he's making his own whip to whip people. I love everything about Jesus. And I could study him and stare at him and be with him the rest of my life. And in fact, the rest of my life and eternity, I will be. And really what I would say to you is this is all about him, all of it. And you're like, what? Every part of it points to him. So if you don't get him in your quiet time and you don't get him when you read the Bible and you don't get him in your prayer clauses, who are you talking to? Who are you reading about? And I have a little experience of reading the Bible as a textbook, as a seminary guy. I want to read the Bible because it leads me to a person. Because it leads me to God. Because it makes me love Him. And I want to love Him. That's the first greatest commandment, correct? Love God. Love God. Love Him. And I mean like All of it, emotions, will, mind, all that you are, love God. So go to Matthew 24, 27. I know we're going to be in one. We'll go back there. But I want to show you a thing that Jesus taught. And it goes with this point I just said. It's all about Jesus. So Jesus has been in the ground and in the grave. You have two of his disciples walking to a town called Emmaus, uh, on the road to Emmaus. And they're walking and they're kind of sad. Because they're like, oh, our Savior, the guy we thought was going to do the things that we thought, he's dead. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that Jesus appears to them on the road, but they are unable to see that it's him. They begin to tell him, sir, have you not heard? They're talking to Jesus. Sir, have you not heard what's happened in Jerusalem these last days? And they tell him all about himself, which I think is hilarious. And it gets to a point where he starts teaching them, and this is Matthew 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So Jesus goes, they have the Old Testament then, starts starts with Moses and goes, that law points to me. The tabernacle and the temple, they point to me. The promises of the prophets, they point to me. All of it comes to me. So you can read the prophets and you can read the New Testament and you can study it and even memorize it. But if you don't come to Jesus, it, what are you doing? It's great to know his bio. It's great to know what he's done. You gotta know him. He's amazing. And he loves you and he wants you to know him. That's the beautiful thing. So in this impromptu sermon in Matthew 24, Jesus basically is like, Every story, every picture, every promise, every regulation, every ritual, all the things, they, they, they're about me. They're about me. And if you want a good example of this, go look Did Tim Keller, talk about true and better. It's an amazing sermon where he goes through every Bible story, and he goes, Jesus is the true and better Jonah, true and better David. It goes through all the characters, and it makes sense. And so Jesus is the suffering servant that Isaiah talked about. Jesus is the kinsman redeemer of Ruth, but then the redeemer of all humanity. Jesus is the Passover lamb, not just for the people in Egypt, for the earth. Jesus is the despised brother, like Joseph, who then is put in high places. I mean, all of scripture points to him, and these two guys walking to Emmaus, we're going to miss it. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that their eyes were open, and they're like, it's you. And then they say, didn't our hearts burn while he talked to us? So I don't want to miss him. You don't want to miss him, right? I don't want to miss Jesus. I don't want a day to go by where I go, man, Lord, I I miss you today. I don't want to do that anymore. So can we pray together here? And then we will get into Matthew 1. Uh, We'll talk about the beginning of Jesus' life and, and the promises that he fulfilled. So, Lord, we just stop my favorite part of this whole thing, where we stop and we submit to you. I believe you're already here, but Father, by the Holy Spirit, would you make us aware how close you are? Would you put your hand upon each person right now? I thank you, Jesus, that it wasn't just in a moment that you showed up by some chance. It was prophesied, it was promised, and it was foretold. You are the Savior of the world. You are alive right now. And you want to save and have saved many in this room. I will open the eyes of our hearts that we might see. Give us ears to hear. That we read your word. It would burn in us like these disciples. Burn in us, Lord. Apply the word to our hearts and our lives. I thank you for everybody here. I feel your pleasure for them. You love them, you like them, and you want them close to you. So if there's anything blocking them from you, would you just show them in the most beautiful, gentle way? We want to be with you. We don't want to miss you. Help us in your name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. So in Matthew chapter 1, you have Matthew, also known as Levi, a tax collector, who is made a disciple and now is an apostle, writing a testimony, a gospel, a, a good news account of the accounts in the gospel of Jesus. It's part of the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's some really, really similarities between those. And what Matthew's going to do is he's going to try to tell you who Jesus is and more than that, why Jesus came and why he's uniquely qualified to be the Savior of the world. It's not just because he walked in miracles. It's not just because he did all he did. It's because of who he is and what was promised. So he starts off in Matthew 1 with a genealogy. Let's be honest, church. You ever read all these names? Alright, good. I'm I'm proud. Like yeah, you know, like I read them all, but I'm like, I don't know who Abilabab and Zebahoo and I don't know these guys, you know. It's okay if you skip some, but they're there on purpose, not to just make us be bored and skip over to chapter two, but I want to take note of the very first verse because Matthew is really he's gonna show us why. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. That one line, if you slow down long enough and aren't just like, man, I want to read some more names, is packed full of weight and glory and power and meaning for why Jesus showed up. Who is this baby born in a manger? Who is this man who calls himself the son of God? Who is Jesus? And Matthew says, well, he's the son of David and he's the son of Abraham. We just read the Old Testament. Now, Who is David? He's a king. He's also promised by God some very beautiful things. And I'll read them to you. You don't have to flip. Stay there in Matthew 1 because we'll continue in a second. In in 2 Samuel 7, King David, who bears Solomon, King David is given a promise. And it goes like this. The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and your you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Now, verse 13 is important. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What's that last word? Forever. Forever is a long time, y'all. How long is forever? Forever. You say forever. <laughs> it's forever. Like, you can't, you can't even get a concept of it because it's so far that way, you're like, forever. Now, kings, I know one thing about kings and kingdoms. They rise and they fall a lot. But King David, thousands of years before Jesus shows up, is given a promise that one from your line will sit on a throne that will be forever. Now, we know, post-cross, where is Jesus sitting right now? at the right hand of the Father on a throne. So Jesus isn't just a man. He's not just, oh, so lucky that he was born on this date and this time and this place. No, this was the intentioned, foreplanned of God right here, right now. Jesus Christ is the son of David, but not just the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, Father Abraham and his sons. Amen, you're not going to go with me. So that's fine, I'll just keep singing. I went to Sunday school, come on. Father Abraham, Abram, who's turned into Abraham. A, a, a appearance of God, I would say it's a theophany, a pre-incarnation viewing of Jesus. It's called the angel of the Lord. But Abraham's given a very weighty promise as well that there's no way he can carry out. Only Jesus can. And in Genesis 12, you get that promise. Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And this is where the promise is pretty weighty. He's talking to Abraham, and he says, And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So I'll say it again. Every word of the Old Testament, every word of the New Testament is about a person. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled all those promises, not by fluke, but because he is the son of God, who is the savior of the world, who's worthy of your life. So if he's the son of Abraham, how is Abraham going to make it work that a... So this is how the Jews think. The son of, the son of, the son of. That's the genealogy, right? Some of you tried to do this with Ancestry.com. I refuse. I'm like, I'm not spitting in that vial. I don't care what you want me to do. The government ain't getting my DNA. All right, that's not what I said, but that's not what I said. But I was just like, I just don't like being told to spit in things. I just don't want to it. Is. Some of you have tracked back your ancestry. You know what you're doing? The son of the son of, the daughter of, the son of, the son of. Luke does the exact same thing in his gospel, and when we read that, you'll notice in chapter 4, he doesn't stop at Abraham. He goes all the way back to Adam. And he goes, this Jesus came in this line as was promised, and now he's here. So we could go now back into chapter 1, and we would read the story of Jesus' birth, but we just came out of Christmas so go to chapter 3. Not that I don't want to read the Christmas story to you. I could. But there's these, these three prophesied, talked-about main figures. You have David, Abraham, and then you have this one that I think we understand, but his teaching is profound, and it's this man called John the Baptist. Everybody heard of him? Kind of weird. Hangs out in the desert, wears camel skins, eats really like bugs. Um, but when I think about John the Baptist, my immediate thought is, if I was God, and I am not, and you are not, but if I was a king, and I was coming to town, how would you announce that you were coming to town? How would you do it? Anybody? You're like, oh, we've blown some stuff up. Fireworks. Everybody see it, Aladdin? Prince Ali, Ali bomb. That, that whole thing, that's playing out. That's how, and but our God doesn't. He comes lowly, he comes in a manger, and the angels tear open the sky. And some shepherds, some raggedy shepherds, like this is the beauty of the gospel. And then there's this weird guy that comes out of the wilderness, and they call him, you know what they call John the Baptist? The forerunner of the Messiah. Now that word forerunner is really important for today because I think there's some pertinence to your life, but I'll define it for you. A forerunner is an advanced messenger a forerunner is a person or thing that precedes the coming or the development of someone or something else. John is another prophesied figure that God said, there will come one before me who will declare, make straight the path of the Lord. And what does John come out of the wilderness doing? Make straight the path of the Lord. And these people are repenting of their sin and he's baptizing them for repentance. And he begins to preach in Matthew 3 verse 1. And that's where we're going to pick up and we're going to spend the rest of the day. Matthew 3. In those days, in these days are the days that Jesus has grown up. John has grown up. We're looking at like 30-ish. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So once again, do you hear this is what was prophesied by Isaiah thousands of years before? That this man John would do what he's doing. That he would, he would do this. He would cry out to the people. Now what I find really interesting is, His very first message actually links with Jesus' first words. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. Get right. Turn from what you're doing and turn to God. Now, our culture, especially Christian culture, is very aware of what God likes usually and doesn't like. We just most of the time are pretty okay with it. What I mean is we, we make excuses for our sin, or our apathy, or our laziness, or how God's not at work in our lives, and then John shows up, and he's a fiery dude, and I don't think he's like, would you repent? Would you do that? The king is coming. You're going to want to be ready. I don't think that's how it went down. I, I think it was pretty volatile. I think it was pretty like, repent! He's coming! So once again, I'll put the image I put at the beginning of the day. If you knew Jesus was going to walk in this room in the next few minutes, are you scared or real excited? Are you like, man, I got to get this. I got to get clean. I got to repent. And that's the idea. So if a king is coming, the king of heaven and the king of earth, the king of the kingdom of heaven is coming. Get ready. Well, how do you get ready for a king of heaven? Now, for an earthly king, you're probably going to get some kind of tribute. You're going to put on your best linens. Don't you all own linens? Um, I don't know. Uh, you're, going to get, you're, going to get, you're going to get your kid's hair clean. You know, you're just going to, you're like, perfect. You're going to get the best food. You're like, welcome, king. But John says there's this king, this one of the kingdom of heaven. It's close. And you need to do one thing to get ready for him. You need to repent. You need to turn from your sin and turn to Him because the kingdom of heaven does not have sin in it. And so he starts baptizing people. The next thing he says is, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And you really do have this voice crying out. And I, I think if you went out into anywhere today, go to your work and tell people this message. What's the response? Don't say anything else. Just go, you need to repent for the kingdom of God is here. What do they say? Do you see how kind of offensive it is to us today? How dare you tell me that I'm wrong? How dare you tell me that I have to stop doing what I'm doing? I want the lovey-dovey come to Jesus with no repentance. But that Christianity doesn't exist, according to John. There is repentance that is caused by the grace of God. and We're going to talk a lot about that today. But if we're going to prepare for God, and then when he gets here, he's like, did you get ready? No. I clung to me and mine and my life. I wanted it more. I I wasn't really concerned about your coming. Well, he's like, well, the one message I gave you was repent. Make his path straight. And so to put it right here in the room, I don't have to like point out sins. I just have to, I think the spirit of God is so gentle and good on his people that some of you, you are well aware, if this is straight, that there's places in your heart that are real crooked, where maybe there's anger. I'm starting to list things now, but you know, I think God's, he's not hiding and he's a great illuminator of the human heart. He puts flashlights on parts of our hearts. There's things that you cling to of the earth that you shouldn't, and you know it. And I think the general message now, because you're in Christ, is to go, would you repent of that? Would you at least allow him a place to take that desire away, maybe? And then he continues in, in verse 11. He keeps talking, and, and he begins to say some pretty heavily heavy things, only because our culture has taken them completely wrong. Go to Matthew 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I am, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork in his hand, and he will His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That doesn't sound like your normal gospel presentation these days, right? The unquenchable fire part. That you don't lead with that when you're talking to your relatives. You want not unquench- Tell me if some of you do. You probably shouldn't. You want that fire, boy? No, don't start there, all right? But notice, he, he starts off with, I'm doing this for repentance, but the one comes after me, he's greater than I am. His sandals, I'm not even unworthy to untie. Now, if you know a little Bible culture... Who Who untied the the sandals of people when they walked in the house? Slaves did. Slaves and servants. It was below everybody else in the Jewish culture. So John just said, a grown man who's declaring, repent for the kingdom is coming. He's like, the one that's coming after me, the one that I'm declaring, he's coming. I'm not even worthy to take his sandals off because he was before me. You'll find that out later in chapter 11. He was before me. What? John knows on a supernatural level that Jesus really is before him because he is the Son of God who is forever. That's why he's not unworthy to tie his sandals. That's why the message to repent makes absolute sense. If he's just a man, don't get any fanfare. Don't prepare for him. Don't make your heart clean. Don't even pay attention. But if he's the Son of God, the worthy, holy, all the omnis God in the flesh... Prepare and repent. Don't hold on to your sin. Don't hide it in the closet because he made the closet that you made that you think you're hiding, but you ain't hiding. His sandals I'm unworthy to untie. And then he says a statement that I think many branches of Christianity are a little afraid of, but I want to take that fear away. He says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, Let's just get, we do baptism here, right? We put a big tank right here. We fill it full of water. Now, picture that it's not water. It's fire. All right? And we're like, who's up? You're like, you want to you wanna, you wanna get in that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, like, you'd be like, am I in the wrong church? Is this Satan's church? No. Like, fire, right? That's a funny bad joke. Uh. So when we talk about what is Jesus coming to do, he's coming to repentance is a cleaning of the heart of humanity and exchanging their heart of stone for a heart of flesh that can love God. It's saving the very soul. It's being born again. And when you get to Jesus, John's doing with water, and he says Jesus is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, which is really, I think, scary to some of us. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're like, don't get too woo. So can we just say something real quick? Who's the Holy Spirit? God! It's whose spirit? Say Jesus or God. I don't, whatever you want to go with, I'll, I'll, will abide it. The Holy Spirit isn't just like some ghost, as some people say. He's not just some figment. He's not just some, he is the very spirit of God himself. And if the picture of baptism in water is any picture of what Jesus would do, he says, I want to immerse you in myself i want to dunk you in my presence i want to coat you in because if you get dunked in water you're wet right i want to dunk you in that and then not only that not only in the holy spirit which is god himself i want to put fire on you and in you now fire has two purposes that i know of maybe more and maybe you can tell me later but fire is used to purify it, literally, you heat up metals and you get out all the impurities, like this fire that will purify the bride of Christ. And he goes, I'm going to put this fire on you because I love you. And then two, fire actually is very, it's a powerful agent, right? So they burn coal and steam engines, so is why. The fire creates power, which creates force. Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to baptize you in myself, in my own spirit, and in fire. Now, some of you, you can jump to your own conclusions about what that means. That's an entirely different sermon that I'm not going to do today. But I'll ask you this question. What do you think Jesus meant when he said that? What did he mean? And I would dare you to search it out, what you think he means. Because if you're dunked in God himself, do you think you'd know? And if you're baptized in the fire of God, do you think you'd know? I'll leave it there. So he says these, I'm not worthy to untie his sandals, and he's gonna baptize very differently than I am. And then you get to Matthew eleven where you start hearing about Jesus again. Go to Matthew eleven. Matthew 11, it says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, woman, amen, there has been arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's a crazy statement, y'all. Of born of any woman on the planet up to that point, no one greater than John. Do you know who Isaiah is? Or Moses? Or any of these guys that came from? No, John is the greatest man born of woman. Wouldn't you men in this room love that stamp? For Jesus to be like, that guy, he's the greatest. But then he says something that should change our lives because we are participants in and members of the kingdom of God if we've given our lives to Jesus. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, if I was like, hey, do you think like you're, you're better than John the Baptist? No one wants to do it. It feels like pride. What did Jesus just say? That the one who's least. So picture heaven. Here's heaven. Here's the throne. And there's this mighty throng. And you're in the back. Like you're in the very far back. You could, you're like, I think I see him. I think I see Jesus up there. You are greater than John. Why? What's that about? How can he say such a thing? And really, the heart of this message is we look at John and we go, I wish I could have been like John. I wish I would have leapt in my mother's womb when I met Jesus in his mom's womb. I wish, I wish I would have gone out and I wish I would do radical things. I wish, I wish, I wish. You are part of the kingdom of God if you've been born again and you have the spirit of God in you. This is why you are greater. Not because you're amazing. I think you all are amazing. But you're, it's not about you. It's about who's in you and who wants to work through you. So if I said you are greater, uh, I would say you can't actually see this kingdom of God unless one thing happens in your heart and your life. Do you know what it is? Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus, and he says nobody can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, which is like, what? And they have this whole conversation, and Nicodemus is like, do I need to get back up in my mom's womb? And it's like, no, you missed it. You don't need to do that. This is about the very central part of who you, you are, your spirit, which is turned away from the Lord. And in a moment, you come to this Jesus who's not, like I said, a fluke. He's prophesied and promised. He is the Savior of the world. And you come to the Savior of the world with your sin and your brokenness and your anger and all your bents, and you go, I want to be new. And he changes your spirit from dead to alive. It's almost like it goes straight. So if you are, and you have, I, I want to give you a job. And i got to do it quick because I'm talking. If you do now see that you are part of the kingdom of God, that you have been born again, I'm going to give you a job. You know what it is? John's job. John the Baptist. You are a forerunner. You're like, oh my God. Dare me. 2 Corinthians 5.20. therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That word ambassadors and that word forerunners, word ambassadors and the word forerunners are almost identical. An ambassador is someone who goes in front of an entourage, goes in front of a king, goes in front of a a president, and goes and makes business on their behalf, goes and announces a message. What's a forerunner do? The exact same thing. So here you are, greater than John if you're in Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the promises of God, and now we're going to send you out of this room, and you are what? Ambassadors. Which I think is the greatest job description on the planet. But here's the rub for me. Many of us, we have not taken our identity very seriously. What I mean is, you came in today... And you were like, well, I'm an accountant, or I'm this, or I'm what I do for my job, or I'm a dad, or I'm a... You you still have very earthly identities attached to you, and that's fine. I'm a dad. I guess I'm a pastor. Not I guess. I really am. Am I? I don't know. Uh, There's titles that I wear. My identity supernaturally is son of God. My identity supernaturally is like an adopted, beloved son who now is being called an ambassador. And some of us, we need to shake off some of our old identities and go, no, 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 I'm not lowly and broken. I'm called greater than John, but why? And really wrestle with what did God do when he saved you? If he made your very spirit new, live new. If he changed everything in your heart from the world to heaven, live for heaven, not for earth. If you really have had your eyes open, which is what he says to Nicodemus, you won't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And you're in here and you're like, I'm born again? What are you looking at then? And I'll end with this. A repentanceless Christianity doesn't exist, guys. It doesn't. And I want to give room for our church to repent because repentance actually is always on the front end of revival. I want God to revive our hearts, make this church his wholeheartedly, um, but there's this funny thing that's been happening uh, to me, and it's going to sound kind of woohoo, but it's not. I, I've just been running into big piles of poop everywhere I go. Like, and I'm like, like, there's a big one in the parking lot. Did you see it? And I'm like, is that a horse? Like, it's big. And you're like, what? No, But it was there last week when I walked in, and I was like, eh. And somebody had stepped in it when I left, and I was like, that sucks. And then I walked in this morning, and it was there again. So either a very large bird, an emu, perhaps, is running through our parking lot and dumping, or I don't know what's going on. But everywhere I go, my dog's pooping in my house. I'm like, these big piles. And I'm like, and sometimes those things don't mean anything. And sometimes it's just natural. But I felt like the Lord was like, I want you to challenge them to clean up their house. Like, there's piles of crap in your house, and you're like, that's eh, okay. Eh, I don't, you know, it won't smell too bad after it. Pardons up. Like, that's really physical, but the house of God is the first thing that God deals with, not, not the people out there. God comes to his people and goes, well, you let me clean you. God comes to his people and goes, are you, you have anger, bitterness, rage, lust, jealousy? All the lists in the Bible, God's talking to his people. And we want to go, I want to go out on the street and call them out for all their sins. I want to call them out for wearing whatever they're wearing or saying what they're saying. But God's like, I'm going to start here. And that's not weighty. That's freedom and repentance is actually the biggest, oh, it's a blessing that church gets to repent. God's not holding our sins against us. He's just waiting us to bring them to him so he can clean us up. So I want to end this way because Jesus' words, I told you, they're the same as John the Baptist. In Matthew 4, verse 17, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, has come near. John says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's close. And then Jesus shows up, and his very first things he says is, repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. If King Jesus walked in and you were like, I don't want this in my heart or life, then today's the day we say it out loud, we repent of it, and we get rid of it. So I'm not going to force you to do this, but I do think there's a profound power in coming forward or moving and actually saying it out loud. So I'm going to put you in prayer. I'm going to invite Dave to come up. Uh, We're already over time, so I understand timing and if you need to leave, but I believe if the Lord has even provoked you a little bit, that you need to spend some time kneeling, coming forward, praying with our prayer team. Let us minister to you I was at a conference uh, about two months, no, it's a little longer than that, uh, in Toledo, room full of Christians, learning about the things of God. The guy on stage stops, and he goes, does anyone here have any of the problems I just talked about? And if you do, I want you to come forward. And I'm sitting there like, nobody's, I, nobody's gonna go up there. 60% of the room was like, Brr. And I watch God free people, deliver people, heal people. Sometimes you think, well, if I just, I shove this bitterness down, I'll just deal with it. Why won't you let God do that? Maybe some of you are like, you're really angry. If you're at home punching drywall men because you're so angry at your life, you have a problem. If there's this unravaging lust through your life, Jesus can take that. So if you're a prayer counselor, can you come up here? We're going to end real slow. I'm going to end in prayer. If you just want to bow your heads, I'm going to put you before the Lord. If the message is repent for the kingdom is near, then Jesus is here. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy and life. But he died to free you from that thing. And I want to challenge you to give it to him. And as we end, I'm going to pray and then they're going to sing. And while they're singing, if you feel led, come lay yourself out in the front here. Come kneel. Come confess. And this is what I would challenge you. If you know a thing that came to mind, say it out loud to another person. But Jesus, we take seriously your, your message. Repent for the kingdom's here. I thank you that the kingdom of God is bigger and wilder and more expansive than I have an imagination for it. And that you consummate, you brought it there we sit our lives before you and I love your joy I love your touch I love your presence I love your word but I also love the moments where you tenderly come in and you reveal that I need to repent it's because you love us and that's just bondage that's just slavery to something we don't belong to anymore. So right now in your gentleness, Father, would you come Holy Spirit and convict us? Stir us up to righteousness. And maybe that picture was from you, but if there's just like piles of poop in our life, would you show it? Help us not to abide those things in your house. You are holy, and you say, I want you to be holy like I am. Thank you that you make all things new. All things new. So as you sit there, I'm just going to invite you to sit there as long as you feel led, and the band's going to sing, and you can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can jump, I don't care. And then anywhere in there, if you're like, i got to confess this, and I want, I want this gone, I want you to come and, and, and receive a prayer. Thank you for joining us today. If you need prayer for anything, you can email us at prayer at cobblestonechurch.com or you can go on our website at www.cobblestonechurch.com and submit it there. We'd love to pray for you. Have a great week and God bless.